0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Good News Gathering. My name is Jeff, and I'll be uh, leading us uh, in our lesson this morning as we continue our Christmas lesson series entitled Follow the Star. Um, But before we uh, jump into that, I just would like to um, extend a special welcome this morning Um, if you are visiting us from the Hillsborough Church of the Nazarene. um, We understand that your services were canceled. due to the tragic event that happened uh, early yesterday morning. And we want you to know that our thoughts and prayers are with you. And um, we also want you to know that that tragedy affected the family of some uh, of our G&G members as well. And so we're suffering with you at this time. And, um, you know, events like that... um, They remind you that, unfortunately, we live in a fallen world. It's a world that is marred by sin. It's a world in which evil does exist, and it does touch lives. But here's the thing that we have to keep in mind, friends, even when things happen around us that we can't explain, things that seem to make absolutely no sense. We have to remember that for those of us who celebrate Christmas because we believe that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, we have to remember that we serve a living Savior who overcame sin and who overcame death. And so for us, and we always have to keep this in mind, as difficult sometimes as it is, but for us, every tragedy is and always will be a precursor to triumph. Hear me on this. If there's one thing that is clear because we follow the one who came back from the dead, is that no tragedy is final. Not for us. And no matter how tragic some situations are, we believe that God is still alive, that he still reigns, and that regardless, he can bring good out of the worst situations. So friends, there's hope. Let's never forget that. Now, if this is your first time at Good News Gathering, you received an outline in your packet of information when you walked in the auditorium. It's a white sheet with holes punched on the side. And if, if this is your first time with us, it will help you follow along with today's lesson. It's got scriptures and fill in the blanks there. And you can go ahead and pull that out, but we'll get to it in just a few minutes. But let me kind of bring you up to speed as to what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks as we've been in this Christmas lesson series. What we've been doing is we've been tracking, in a way, the wise men, these magi from the east, as they followed this star to the babe that was born in Bethlehem. And in our previous lessons in this series, we learned that these wise men, these magi, many Bible scholars believe came from an area of the world known as Media, which is, which is in modern-day Iran. One of its major cities, a place called Ekbatana, had a large number of Jewish exiles who had been relocated there approximately 700 years before Christ was born. Or, and there's another, there's another possibility that, that many scholars believe, is that the wise men came from an area actually south of Media, an area that was the former Babylonian Empire, which is in modern-day Iraq. Now, its major cities, Babylon and Susa, also known as Shushan, had large numbers of Jewish exiles who had been relocated there when Israel was conquered by the Babylonians. But that happened about 600 years before Christ was born. And it's likely that these exiles who were removed from Israel and relocated to other areas, it's quite likely that those exiles, like the Old Testament prophets Ezekiel and Daniel, took with them copies of the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers in Deuteronomy. And perhaps there were additional Old Testament books that they took as well when they went into captivity. And this would explain how, hundreds of years later, the wise men were aware of the prophecy about one who was to be born king of the Jews. And when they saw this new king's star, a star that was prophesied in the Old Testament book of Numbers, These guys left their homes, presumably left their families, and certainly left their home country behind to follow this star, to find this one who had been born king of the Jews. So whether they came from Media or from Babylon, the Bible does not exactly say, but in either case, they made a journey of over a thousand miles following the river routes from the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers around the vast Arabian desert and then south past the Sea of Galilee along the Jordan River to Jericho and then overland heading west to Jerusalem and finally five miles south of of Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Now, what I want you to do for just a moment is I want you to think about that trip. Think about this trip that these guys went on because they had undoubtedly heard about this prophecy of a king and then they saw this star that they believe signaled that king's arrival. Now, this is not a vacation this has to be understood. This is not a sightseeing tour. If anything, it's like a quest. Think about it in that frame. Because travel in those days was both difficult and dangerous. And these guys were carrying with them items of great value. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which made them prime targets for bandits. And there were plenty of them, marauders who preyed on caravans. It's possible now, considering their elevated status in, in the Eastern world, that they came with an entourage, We tend to think of it as three kings because that's the song, right? And there were three gifts. And we tend to think that there just were three of them, but that's not necessarily the case. The Bible doesn't tell us how many there were. And it's quite possible that they came with a large group of people and especially with armed guards. That would not be unusual considering their position in Eastern culture. But think about this king that they were looking for. I mean, to make a trip like that, you're not looking for any ordinary king. You don't travel hundreds of miles, if not over a thousand miles, in that day and age, to find just another ordinary child of a human king. Who would do that? I mean, heaven knows, history is replete with examples of kings whose sons grew up to be mediocre kings. All they ever did was manage to keep the kingdom intact. History is replete with examples of kings whose sons grew up to be bad kings, bad choices, poor leadership, who lost their kingdoms. History is also full of examples of heirs who grew up to be evil kings, cruel tyrants who abused their people, and history has plenty of examples of heirs who grew up and became kings even though they were mentally imbalanced. You think about it. If these guys came from Babylon, they knew exactly what that was about. Because the Bible even records that one of the Babylonian kings was utterly insane for seven years. And yet he was the king. You can't do anything about it, he's just crazy. You think about it, you don't risk a journey of this magnitude that lasted probably for months on end to find a child who could turn out any number of ways. And who's going to predict that, right? But you would cross the horizon to find a king who was more than ordinary. A king who had been prophesied hundreds of years before. A king who, in some way, shape, or form, was supernatural. Now, that you would travel far and wide to see. Think about it. If they were looking for a simply human king, Jerusalem wouldn't be where you'd look for him. He wouldn't. Not in that day and age. I mean, the dominant military and political power in the world at that time was Rome. The dominant intellectual capital of the world was Athens, Greece. Even though it was no longer a major political or military power, Athens was still living off the glory of the great thinkers like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, On the other hand, the Jews, these were subjugated people, ruled and oppressed by Rome, and their capital city, Jerusalem, couldn't hold a candle to the magnificence of Rome or Athens. To consider a king of the Jews worthy of note on the world stage, he would have to be something beyond merely human. And interestingly, The Roman historians Tacitus and Suetonius recorded that at the time of Christ's coming, there was a widespread belief throughout the known world at that time that from Judea, the region around Jerusalem, would come someone or some persons who would be masters. Isn't that fascinating? Something recorded by non believing historians. This general belief. And then there was that star. The wise men were stargazers, that was part of what they did. They plotted and charted the movement of the heavenly bodies. These are some of the best educated, most intellectual men in Eastern culture. And they knew that no ordinary star acts like this star acted. This star led them across hundreds and hundreds of miles to a house in an out-of-the-way hamlet called Bethlehem and to a child who would one day grow up to speak the most important words ever spoken in human history. Those words are our focus verse for this lesson series. They're up here on the screens. Let's all recite them together. Here we go. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, let those words just kind of sink into your brain for a moment. Jesus claimed to be the way to the Father, the God of the universe. In other words, He is the direction, the, the route, the path to God. And by the way, He said it, I am the way. He made it clear that in his mind there was no other way. Jesus also claimed to be the truth about God. In other words, he's, he's saying if you want to know the character of God and the will of God, all you need to do is look at Jesus. And Jesus also claimed to be not just the way and not just the truth, but also the life. What does that mean? I am the way and the truth and the life. That's the title of our uh, today's lesson, is the life. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you have given us to study your word, Time for us to think, and Father, help us to think clearly and to think well. Father, help us to set aside any distractions and focus just on what your word has to say to us today. Help us to have open ears to hear your voice. Open minds to comprehend what you are speaking into our lives and open hearts to be willing to make whatever changes you're calling us to make. For this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Now friends, when you look at that word life in Jesus' statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, that word life, and I'm going to Define it just a little bit there in the top, in that box at the top of your outline. That word life, I believe, implies more than mere existence. It's more than just, well, you know, I get up and I breathe every day. I take in oxygen, I take in food, and I just exist. Life implies more than that. Now, interestingly enough, the Bible is very clear that Jesus is the author of life. In other words, he's the reason that you and I exist. And many times we don't, we don't think of it that way. We think of God as kind of like somehow separate from Jesus, and, and God created everything, and then Jesus came along you know, at some point in history here on earth. And, and we don't think of the fact that Jesus was there from eternity that Jesus and God are one. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way, or John, excuse me, he said this way, he said, in the beginning was the Word, the Word. And that that Word is is what John uses to describe Jesus because Jesus is the expression of God in human form. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was. Was God. In other words, Jesus is God in the flesh. God in human form. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In other words, Jesus created everything, He was part of the entire creative process then and now. In other words, Jesus was intimately involved in crafting you and me. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then it goes on to say this, in him was life, life. Now this is more than just mere existence, but this is, this is life in terms of how we live and Why? As created beings, this is life not just on a physical level, but on a spiritual level and beyond the physical level, on the eternal level. You see, to truly live means pursuing a life of meaning, a life of meaning, a life that means something, a life that matters, a life of purpose not just getting by, but a life that is driven toward a goal. To truly live means pursuing a life of meaning, purpose, and significance in the eyes of my creator. You see, if we are created beings, then how our creator views how we live our life is paramount. Oh yeah, we may have the freedom to live as we please. We may have the freedom to do whatever we choose. But to find real meaning, purpose, and significance, we find that in the eyes of our creator who made us, informed us. Now by following the wise men as they followed the star, I believe that there are some important things we can discover about the life Jesus offers us, and about Jesus, who is the real star of the Christmas story. Now the story goes like this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And it must have just been staggering to them to arrive in Jerusalem after all these months of travel and the hardships that were undoubtedly a part of that journey and arrive in Jerusalem, the the political and religious capital of the Israelite people, and to find out that they were the only people that seemed to be aware of this king that was being born to the Jews or to the star. Now, we're going to skip a little bit ahead in the story, and then we'll come back. But it says, after they had heard the king, and this being King Herod, it says, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, and on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him, and then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I wonder if during this time, if they realize these Old Testament prophecies about a king to be born to the Jews were being confirmed. This star signaling a ruler had come out of the nation, that would come out of the nation of Israel. This, and, I, and I wonder if, 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 if these guys were like, you know, that old scroll in the library, that one that they said Daniel brought with him. that old scroll that we knew as Numbers talked about this king and this star that would appear and if that's true I wonder if that that other old scroll in the library that one that talks about the beginning of the world I wonder if that's true that there is a God who created the universe and all that we see that we're not here by accident that we're not just products of some kind of natural process that that brought everything into being. No, there's a God that created everything. And we're not here by chance. You know, I think the very first thing that we discover about life by following the star is that you and I, I am created by God. God. I'm created by God. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything that we see. And I can imagine these, these wise men, as they looked at the heavens at night, and they charted those stars and those constellations, and then all of a sudden that one star shows up, and they're like, that's not normal. That's supernatural. Stars don't move like that. We've got to follow that star. And not only did God create the heavens, but the Bible tells us in Genesis 2-7, then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God did that. That didn't happen because of mother nature. That happened because God reached in and created human beings and breathed into them the breath of life. And friends, I believe that when we realize that we are created by God, we figure something else out that's very important and that is life is precious. Your life is precious. Precious. My life is precious. And friends, it needs to be respected and protected. And I wonder if, as these wise men looked at this child, most likely somewhere under two years of age, if they thought to themselves, how precious is life? How precious. But you know, there was another prophecy they encountered, and this one they encountered at King Herod's court. And we're going to double back and pick up that part of the story that happened in Jerusalem. It says, when King Herod heard heard this, he was disturbed. In other words, what it's talking about here is when, when this group of wise men and however many people they had with them rolled into Jerusalem and began to ask people, where is the one born king of the Jews? This disturbed King Herod. He was upset, not happy, and all Jerusalem with him. And I have no doubt that all Jerusalem was very disturbed as well, because everybody knew when King Herod's disturbed, people tend to die. That's just the way things worked. Herod would not allow any threat to his power. So when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. He didn't know. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. Now, think about it. These chief priests and teachers of the law knew that 700 years before, a prophet by the name of Micah had written this. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. They knew. They knew where this king born to the Jews was to be born. It was in Bethlehem. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him Now, we are aware from the rest of the story that it was not Herod's intention to worship this child at all. It was his intention to eliminate the child. But what I find absolutely fascinating is the different reactions. You have these wise men who travel hundreds of miles in search of this child. Knowing that the prophecy was being fulfilled from the Old Testament. And as far as we know, these guys weren't even Jewish. But the reaction of the Jewish people in Jerusalem, just five miles from where this event was taking place, had no clue and no apparent concern. How do I know that? Because Herod sends the wise men to Bethlehem and doesn't go with them. And as far as we know, nobody else from Jerusalem went either. Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me. See, I don't care enough to go there myself unless I can kill him. But you go. Try to find him. Then let me know where he is. And as far as we know, the Bible does not indicate that anybody else, not one chief priest, not one teacher of the law went along Five miles to find the one born king of the Jews that was prophesied in their Old Testament. And friends, when I think about those two different reactions to the coming king, the second thing I think that we learn about life is this. I am created for more than mere existence. These people were unconnected to the very God that they believed in. They were just existing, just getting by, just doing what they'd always done for years and years and years, and here these other guys come out of the blue saying, where is he? We've seen his star, we know the prophecy, we know he's here. You know, that child would later grow up to make this statement, he said I have come that they may have life. He's talking to all of us. He said he said I have come into the world that they may have life and have it to the full. The full. Not just getting by, not just doing the same things over and over again that have no meaning, but life, a life of meaning and purpose and significance because it's lived In the meaning, the purpose, and significance that are in the eyes of God, it's lived connected to him and to the son he sent into this world. And not only that, but Jesus also said in John 17 on the night before he died, he said this. He said, now this is eternal life. So when Jesus is talking about I am the life, he's not just talking about the life that we live in the here and now, but the life that we have for eternity. And he said this, now this is eternal life that they know you, he's praying here to the Father, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus is saying that eternal life Begins the moment you accept Him. The moment that you know God and His Son, you have eternal life beginning then and going on from there. And, friends, if there's one thing that we can learn about life from Jesus, it's this that life is purposeful. It's per- purposeful. We have a reason to live. Because we are created in God's image. We have a reason to live because we are created to be in relationship with Him. And we're. It's not only purposeful, friends, but it's also eternal. We have a purpose because we know that this life is not all there is. We were meant to be in relationship with God for eternity. Now, the story of the wise men ends this way. It says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And, friends, I have to tell you, one of the reasons that I really love the Bible is because the Bible never pulls any punches. The Bible is brutally honest about what it's like to live in a world that has fallen. It never acts like life is just a bowl of cherries. It never acts like everything is going to be peaches and cream when you accept Christ as your Savior. And even in the midst of the beauty of the Christmas story, you have these wise men being warned in a dream not to go back to this evil king because his intention is to kill the baby. That's harsh. That's another one of those awful reminders that we live in a fallen world, a world that includes sin and evil. And I wonder if those wise men Recalled the account of the fall in Genesis three. You may be you may remember that when Jesus when God and Jesus created everything, that everything was originally perfect. There's no sin. There's no suffering, no sickness, no death. But then something happened. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned, and evil entered the human condition. And in Genesis 3, it says this So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, because the serpent had tempted Eve, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And I wonder if the wise men, as they looked at that child, thought, What is in this child's future? Because he is the offspring of a woman. And Genesis indicates that he will deal a crushing, fatal blow to the evil one. He will crush the evil one's head, but the evil one will strike his heel, a non fatal wound. And I wonder if they had any idea that one day evil would strike that child's heel on a cross. But it would be a non-fatal blow because that child would one day come back from the dead to crush Satan and the evil that is in this world. And friends, here's what we can learn about life from the babe of Bethlehem. It's this, though I live in a fallen world, there is hope. There's still hope. Regardless of what we see happening around us and the things that we cannot explain and the, same, the things that seem to make no sense like what happened this weekend, there is still hope. The Bible says it this way in 1 John 5 and this is the testimony. Cool phrase, which means this is what the Bible speaks to the world. This is the testimony of Scripture. What is it? God has given us eternal life. We live not just for this world, but also for the next. God has given us eternal life. And how has he done this? It goes on to say, and this life is in his son. That's how he's given us eternal life. It's in his son. He sent his son into the world. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And it's almost as if the Apostle John is saying to himself, okay, just in case they didn't get it, let me say it again. Whoever has the Son has life. You see, when you accept Christ as your Savior, you have life, real life. But the flip side is this, and John doesn't let us walk away without this. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You see, without faith in Christ, eternal life with God is not available. Remember, it was Jesus himself who said, I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me